Hi friends, your pal Dave here for an exciting new podcast coming your way, Bible Babble with Dave. Unlike other Holy Roller podcasts that only scratch the surface of the treasure trove of information available in the good book, Bible Babble goes balls deep into the good stuff. Learn the meaning behind classic biblical stories such as the story of Lot and his daughters in Genesis chapter 19 verses 30 through 38. This is the story where Lot's daughters get their father drunk and have sex with him on consecutive nights without his knowledge or memory and both get pregnant. Family values way back then. How touching. Grandpa Daddy is in the house. Who can forget Ezekiel chapter 23 verse 20? She lusted after her lovers, whose genitals were like those of donkeys and whose emission was like that of horses. Bible Bukaki, am I right folks? And finally the classic advice from Ephesians chapter 5 verses 22 through 24. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Ladies, if there's one biblical rule you should follow, it is definitely this one. Whether you've been studying this masterpiece your entire life, or you're diving into this life-changing manual for the first time, Bible Babble with Dave has something for everyone. From banging your dad to sacrificing your son, this book is nothing but fun, fun, fun. Bible Babble with Dave. Rated C for crazy. The Oklahoma City bombing is one of, if not the worst act of domestic terrorism in American history. And we all know that Timothy McVeigh is the culprit of this tragedy. But did you know that involvement in this heinous crime is much deeper than just one man's attempt to rebel against the federal government? Today, we'll take a look at the stories behind some radical right-wing and white supremacist groups and discuss how they most likely were involved in developing and implementing this sadistic attack on innocent American people. We'll also discuss the bombing itself and talk about how McVeigh initially got himself arrested. I'm Mike. I'm Ian. And I'm Dave. If you thought Joe Exotic fuckery was the worst thing to ever take place in Oklahoma. Stick around. It's time for a history lesson on domestic terrorism. This is Necronomapod. A massive car bomb exploded outside of a large federal building in downtown Oklahoma City, shattering that building, killing children, killing federal employees, military men, and civilians. The chaos in downtown Oklahoma City did indeed resemble Beirut after what police believe to be a 1,200-pound car bomb ripped through the nine-story federal building shortly after 9 o'clock this morning. More than 500 people were already in their offices, and at least 50 children were in a daycare center on the second floor. Bombing in Oklahoma City was an attack on innocent children and defenseless citizens. It was an act of cowardice, and it was evil. The United States will not tolerate it, and I will not allow the people of this country to be intimidated. So we've had a, uh, it's been a serious month for Necronomapod. A little bit yeah. out of our lane. Yeah, with these shows. This has been a, a little different for us. Had a lot of hot topics, uh, touched on some controversial things, and we still got a couple weeks to go. Halfway point. So I figured I'd break it up just a little bit here. Dave and Ian. <laughs> the anticipation kills me when we get the, when I get this. <laughs> F. Mary Kill. I haven't done these in a while. Vin Diesel. Mark Wahlberg. Jason Statham. Vin Diesel, hmm. Marky Mark Wahlberg, Jason Statham. Hmm. Ian's Googling <laughs> all three of them right now trying <laughs> no, to figure I, I know who they are. 
I'll go uh, first kill. if you guys want time. But you can go ahead. You got something. Uh, kill um, Jason Statham, F Mark Wahlberg, and Mary Vin Diesel. It's a bold call. Vin Diesel seems like a really cool dude, and he plays D and D. So okay. I could play D and D with Vin Diesel and hang out. Yeah, <laughs> I like, like, I like that you know nerd. that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ask me why I know that, Vin. <laughs> Twenty-five damage points, Vin. <laughs> yeah, and it just depends if you get in shape, Vin Diesel, or fat Vin Diesel when he's not doing a movie. Are you clarifying for the point of this uh, discussion or no? No. Okay. Well, you get him at his best and his worst. Okay. Yeah. Because you're. Fair enough. I mean, if you're marrying him, then you get him at his best and his worst. If I want to F him, do I get Fast and Furious Vin Diesel? If you want. Okay. I'll allow that. Right. But if, if you're on the set of Fast and Furious and you have the chance to fuck someone and you're not taking The Rock, then that's on you, pal. Because that's a terrible decision. <laughs> you take The Rock and you hope he knocks you up and then you get paid. Jesus. <laughs> if you smell what I'm cooking. Dave's really struggling with this one. I am going to kill Mark Wahlberg wow. and the Funky Bunch. Oh, and the funky one. You're going to call them. <laughs> uh, F. Jason Statham and Mary Vin Diesel. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I don't know why. That's We're going to go three for three on differences then because I'm hmm. killing Vin Diesel in a heartbeat. Really? That guy's just a Neanderthal. Uh, I'm effing Marky Mark and I'm marrying Jason Statham because Jason Statham's one of my top three man crushes. He's a cool guy. I love Jason Statham. So that's that. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. I thought I was, I was doing like masculine, hunky. Sure. Action guys was, sure. my, was my theme for that one. If you couldn't tell, I could tell. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I couldn't tell. I have a female one, uh, and this one actually came by request from one of our patrons on the Discord. Really, a- ape shit wanted us to. I already did it for him one night on the Discord, but he asked me to do it for you guys, so I said it. Figured I'd do it on the show since we haven't done one in a while. You did it for him, or you did it to him? All the above. Okay. So he <laughs> wanted us to do his top three female celebs. His girls, his favorite three, he wanted us to F Mary Kill. Really? Hayden Panettiere. I think that's how you say her name. I don't really remember how to say that last mm. name. Jennifer okay. Aniston and Mila Kunis. Who was the first one? Hayden, H A Y D E N. He's Googling. <laughs> Pan, and just put in P A N, it'll pop up. So, not okay. to be creepy about it, but she's the little girl from Remember the Titans. Mm. And then she grew up and was a fucking smoke show. Hmm. <laughs> smoke show <laughs> she is um hayden panettiere jennifer aniston mila kunis thank you ape shit i kill hayden panettiere whatever her name is <laughs> panettiere <laughs> f jennifer aniston mary mila kunis all right how about that ape shit huh I don't know how he feels. That wasn't in order. I wasn't reading his in order. I don't know how he feels about that. He's going ape shit now. Am I right? I know we have some <laughs> female members of the Discord that want a fisticuff with Jennifer Aniston. Hmm. Why is that? They have their reasons, I guess. Okay. All right. I'm I'm going to kill Jennifer Aniston. I'm going to F Amelia. Uh, what's her name? Mila. Amelia Earhart? <laughs> Mila Kunis? <laughs> Mila Kunis. Yeah, I'm killing her. Uh, or effing her. Killing jennifer aniston and then i would uh marry hayden hmm. ian i agree with you 100 percent. wow yeah that's a tough one they're all smoking hot hmm. but someone's got to go i like the name hayden too that's a that's a bonus that's a turnout you'd marry someone with the name hayden yeah i like that name. he's like yeah, good yeah. One. yeah yeah i would yeah yeah <laughs> he's only skin deep fellas you shallow fucks i'd rather just have someone with, <laughs> with a name that gets me gives me a boner <laughs> 
You want to talk to someone named Broomhilda every day? I want to talk to someone named Hayden. What are the, what are the names? Guys. What are the names I don't like? Uh, what was the name from the show? Enid. Enid. Such a great name. But then what was that aunt? Eldnid? Enid? It was from the uh, the ghost one. Maud. Was it <laughs> yeah, Maud? Aunt Maud. I think it was Maud. Oh, uh, was it Aunt Maud, Aunt Maud from... No one listening is going to know because no one listened to the Black Monk upon a frown. It's true. This is our worst downloaded show of all time. <laughs> Until the Solar Temple from a couple oh, weeks God ago. God damn, that was a rough stretch. Yeah, people didn't love it. Everyone go back mm. and listen to those. I thought, that the was, I thought they, they were, were good. good shows. Yeah, yeah, they were. Aunt Maud. That's right, Maud. I would not marry someone with the name Maud. All right, so let's get back to it. Oklahoma City Part 1. Ian, what do we got? So before we get into the life of Timothy McVeigh... And like you said in the intro, we, we know what he did. We knew he was behind it. But before we get into his life and, and how he got to the point of bombing the Alfred P. Mira Federal Building and killing 168 people, we need to take a look at some of the right wing and white separatist groups and, and the people that played a big part in getting him there. Because the thing about McVeigh is that he claimed to be a lone wolf who acted alone. But through the ties of of all of these people that he was involved with, it shows that there is a high possibility, if not just fully certain, that he was chosen for this job. The interesting thing is that no other arrests were ever made, and one of the big criticisms of that is that the FBI and the ATF feared that there was going to be another Waco-type situation going on if they tried to go and raid one of these places. Wow, so that's implying that they knew exactly who was behind it but didn't want to start essentially a war with these groups. Yeah. That's a huge, uh, that's a huge conspiracy. There's a really good book called uh, Oklahoma City Bombing, What the Investigation Missed, and it puts forth a ton of evidence that when we'll get into, we're going to get into a bunch of this, we're going to lay out a kind of a history of all these people real quick here, and then in part two, we'll, we'll start seeing a lot of stuff where they just kind of turn a blind eye to some of the stuff and we're like, we got our guy, we're going to put him to death and we'll just keep an eye on the rest of you guys. From a public relations standpoint though, that's kind of what like the public wants to see, right? They want to see someone blamed, they want to see him punished and then they want to feel better about it. Like from a public relations standpoint. And they don't want a war. But I mean like from the yeah. American people, we just like, we just want to know that someone was blamed, someone was caught, someone was found guilty, and then they were put to death. Yeah, and they want and it then, to go away, it. but then, they don't want race wars right. breaking and out. And then from the federal government standpoint, they're like, okay, we did our part with that. Yeah. Let's just kind of maybe move on. Oh, simple solutions in a complex world. That's what the most people like. It's the name of my first album, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's all Nickelback covers. <laughs> I can't wait to listen to that. <laughs> but acoustic and like ballads. I make them all ballads. That reminds me of something, uh, well, I really am. <laughs> <laughs> so the modern roots of these groups began with a group that we brought up in Ruby Ridge, and we touched on them, brought them up again in Waco as well. But the group, uh, the Covenant, the Sword, and the Arm of the Lord. That's clever rhyming, eh? Yeah. Name of Dave's first rap album. <laughs> <laughs> All kinds of Bible verses. It's great. The CSAL started out as a nonviolent group, even though they were extremely racist. In the late 70s, things changed for this group when they brought in the Christian identity version of Christianity, which we've we touched on that in Ruby Ridge. Armed with this, the Christian identity movement, things got extremely apocalyptic in this group, 
and they started to believe that the only way to save Earth would be to remove all Jewish people from the planet. <laughs> Did these psychopaths uh, realize that it was all Jews that wrote their stupid Bible? Come on. How dare you, Dave? Yeah. <laughs> Didn't you ever look at that? Remember in the Ruby Ridge documentary, they have the flow chart of how oh, that all happened? Oh, that's right. The flow chart with the Christian <laughs> identity clowns. <laughs> so they it's two racist groups, so it's double racist now. Great. Yeah. And that's the thing with the Christian identity movement is it's it's really nebulous. There's no one person that leads it. It's just the thing that it's an idea that all of these groups kind of have universally adopted as like their version of religion. So there's no hierarchy. There's no structure. There's no church. There's, like you said, an idea. Right. Do you guys know where white supremacists send their, send their toddlers? I'd love to know. Pre-KKK. <laughs> you got that on your soundboard is that that's not on there this week is it oh this fucking guy isn't that one of your other soundboard things <laughs> try to do some uh nazi white supremacist jokes he's here all week folks not easy to come by <laughs> do you hear about the european white supremacist with the huge cock no. he was hungarian <laughs> Oh boy! <laughs> all right, that's all I got. That is literally all the like the white supremacist shows that are available on the internet. That's it, <laughs> or at least the one he's comfortable saying yeah, on right. air. On top of the racist aspects of the CSAL and, and these other groups, distrust of the government plays a huge part with these guys. I mean, it's almost like the hate for the federal government is almost equal to the racist aspects. And with distrust of the government and violent rhetoric growing with these people, the first one to put it into action was a guy named Gordon Call. In 1983, during a standoff with law enforcement, Call was killed after refusing to turn himself in for not paying his taxes. After Gordon Call, the CSAL and other radical right-wing groups believed that this was proof that the federal government was coming for them and or their guns and it was time to start arming up. Mm. Just to clarify with that guy, I did a little research on him. He wasn't, I mean, it was, you know, for not paying taxes, but he also got in two shootouts and killed U.S. Marshals and the sheriff when they tried to apprehend him. It's a swell yeah, guy. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like, hey, if you didn't pay 100 bucks in taxes last year, we're going to kill you. That's the thing with these groups, too, is they, they look at all these things where they are obviously the ones at fault, you know? Mm-hmm. And then they flip it where it's like the government's against them. And it's like, no, man, just pay your taxes like like everybody else yeah, has to. right. And don't kill U.S. Marshals. And, you know, maybe you <laughs> right. won't get shot. So in order to arm themselves to the degree that they had in mind, they needed money. So they started robbing banks. And all this robbing banks got the attention of the FBI, which led to Operation Clean Sweep. I mean, to this point, they sound like good patriots and, you know, real Americans, right? Sure. <laughs> Solid citizenry. I'm with them. <laughs> so last week I teased at the end of Waco about uh, April 19th was going to play a huge part in, throughout the story. And here is our first April 19th. On April 19th, 1985, the FBI raided the CSAL compound on weapons charges. After it was all over, the FBI said that still to, says that still to this day, it was one of the largest stockpiles of weapons that they had ever taken. And Operation Clean Sweep wasn't a, a quick raid either. It resulted in a standoff that was ultimately negotiated by a guy named Robert Millar. 
Robert Millar was the founder of a radical racist right-wing village called Elohim City, located in Oklahoma, right on the border with Arkansas. Great place. Yeah. You ever seen pictures of Elohim City? <laughs> no. I was just Looks making like an Arkansas joke, hole. but yeah, I'm sure it was oh. a shithole. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it still exists to this day. Elohim City is still kicking. Who lives there? I think that's where our first live show might be. Is it? We're in talks. Yeah. We're in talks. Necronomopod live in. at Elohim City. Yeah. We sold out. Well, in 1973, Robert, Robert Millar traveled to Oklahoma with 18 followers to found Elohim City. Many of those 18 followers were directly related to Millar. They lived extremely bare bones telling time with sundials, using the Hebrew calendar, and instead of money, they used little glass beads. After 20 years of existence, the population of Elohim City had only grown to a little under 100. So I think we can kind of put two and two together here that there was probably a lot of incest and a lot of uh, polygamy happening in Elohim City. Yeah, they probably look wow. like the hills have eyes people. I don't believe that. Yeah. For a second. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> what do you think was going on? Like Russian mail-order brides they were bringing in? Maybe. Sure. You thought the Amish had unibrows. Imagine what it looked like in this fucking place. I'd rather not, sir. Thank you. <laughs> For the first 10 years, Robert Millar and his followers were extremely racist, but relatively peaceful. And until... Oh, so they were, they're okay. <laughs> 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 they, weren't, they weren't out trying to kill people or do anything. They just had, you know... They were good racists, yeah, not they, bad racists. They racist. weren't the bad kind of racists. <laughs> they were those good ones yeah. that just, you know, kept it to themselves and bitched to their grandkids. I mean, their ideas weren't that great, but they didn't hurt anybody, really. <laughs> Just you wait, mister. <laughs> well, that was until Millar attended a CSAL conference in Arkansas. There, Millar met CSAL founder James Ellison, who heavily influenced him. Now, James Ellison joined up with a neo-Nazi group called The Order. The name The Order comes from a militia in the fictional book, The Turner Diaries. And this, this book is a, is a heavy part of, of what influenced Timothy McVeigh. And I think, it, I mean, all these guys fucking love this book. Oh, they love it. It's their Bible. Turner Diaries. Yep. Race War Time. Yeah. <laughs> so the Turner Diaries is a 1978 novel by William Luther Pierce, published under the pseudonym Andrew McDonald. The Turner Diaries depicts a violent revolution in the United States, which leads to the overthrow of the federal government, a nuclear war, and ultimately a race war, which leads to the systematic extermination of non-whites. All groups opposed by the novel's protagonist, Earl Turner, including Jews, non-whites, liberal actors, and politicians are exterminated. It's a liberal actor. What does that mean? Just acting liberally? Like not if you're a liberal, in, not you're, you're dead. Conservative views. A, a liberal on the on the world stage, you know, on the stage in the U.S. On the stage, but doing liberal things, okay. advocating for liberal policies. Just wondering what they what they what they meant by that. It's in quotes, so I just want to know what it meant. Might warrant some further research, Mike. Can you get back to us next week with yep. a with a classical book <laughs> definition? I will be sure to forget that within an hour. <laughs> okay, <laughs> terrific. <laughs> The Turner Diaries was described as, quote, explicitly racist and anti-Semitic by the New York Times, and it has also been labeled as, quote, the Bible of the racist right by the Southern Poverty Law Center. Garbage. It's literally is, it is a, it's quote unquote fiction, you know, I mean, it's a fictional story, but it is literally a manual for how to build a car bomb or a truck bomb and go blow up a building. Mm. Dave, what's because your... In the st- 
what go ahead Ian I'm sorry no I was just saying in the story that's what Earl Turner does you know he goes and builds a truck bomb to go blow up the FBI building <laughs> so that doesn't sound familiar at all hmm. <laughs> right? Dave aren't you having a spinoff podcast on your favorite fictional book a Bible babble with with your pal Dave tell us all about it I'm working on it right now <laughs> Soon, soon coming to uh, cool down media. It's going to be an uh, in-depth analysis on some of your favorite Bible stories and quotes, and just you know, picking apart the, the advice on how to live your life. There we go. Coming soon. Coming soon to podcast networks near you. <laughs> so, with James Ellison, founder of the CSAL, joining up with these neo Nazis to start this group called the Order, they went on a crime spree that, in the white supremacy world, is known as the War of '84. This involved bank robberies, firebombings, and just flat-out murders of people that were critical to their message. Mm. After Millar got involved with these guys, Elohim City became a meeting ground and like a livable area for all these groups. Millar himself didn't do anything violent, but he kind of just like covered his ears, closed his eyes, and acted like he didn't know what was going on there. Basically, if you were white and subscribe to the Christian identity movement, you were allowed into Elohim City no matter what. Mm. Come on in, Whitey. <laughs> Elohim City is also the burial ground of a guy named Richard Wayne Snell. In 1983, Snell began plans to blow up the Mirror Building in Oklahoma City with a rocket launcher. Remember, <laughs> it's, it's not a good idea. It sounds like a fucking video game. <laughs> yeah. Grand Theft Auto stuff going yeah. on. Members of the CSAL built this rocket launcher, but it backfired during testing, killing two members while they were testing it. <laughs> Snell took this as a sign from God that the mirror building wasn't the right target for that time. I took it as a sign that they're a bunch of fucking idiots. Yeah. <laughs> I'm leaning towards that, I think. <laughs> I just picture a bunch of hicks down in Arkansas trying to figure out a rocket launcher. <laughs> they're probably looking at the wrong end, right? <laughs> Guy standing behind him when he launches it. Well, this is the end I put in your ass last night, so I think that's the end that's going to blow out the rocket. <laughs> so Snell Do they was bang aided. people with rocket launchers in Arkansas? And if you say Oklahoma? so, probably. Maybe so. I mean, I would. What else are you going to do down there? Go to a tiger farm? I don't know. What else is there to do? All right. As you were, Ian. Get us back on track, please. Snell was aided in this plan by a former KKK member named Louis Beam. Beam was one of the first people to promote an idea to all of these groups called leaderless resistance. And this is where we're get you're getting into straight up terrorism at this point. It's a true lone wolf idea that no one actually has to be a member of the KKK or the CSAL or any of these other groups. As long as you have the same idea of racism and government resistance, you you're good to go, and you can go act on on things. I mean, it works. It's pretty know, scary. It makes it hard to catch people. It's it's like an ISIS style yeah. idea, you know. There's no there's just tentacles. There's no real central command authority. So yeah, in nineteen, 19- no, no way to cut off the head of the snake. No way to cut off the head of the snake, if you will. Right. Good metaphor, Mike. I have that tattooed on my ball sack. <laughs> cut off this snake, bitch. <laughs> oh boy, I'm having a bad day. <laughs> In 1984, Richard Snell was convicted in the murder of an African-American state trooper and a financial broker that he wrongly thought was Jewish. Oh, my God, these guys. Finance must be a Jew, right? 
Snell was sentenced to death, and his execution date was set for, set for none other than April 19th, 1995. Jesus. Mm. Uh, so this, this is a sidetrack, and maybe, and I don't mean to keep sidetracking us, but it's a little bit relevant to that date. Is there a whole conspiracy theory on that date, then April 19th? Like, is that, is that a whole rabbit hole you can dive in for just everything? Like, is there, is there something connected with that beyond kind of like white supremacy and or militia and or anti-government? Like, is there, is there just something with that date or is it just with like kind of this story and this, this genre? I've never heard, I've never seen anything about April 19th being an, an issue outside of this, but it's just, there's gotta be some kind of conspiracy theories out there for something with that date. Mm. What was, was Columbine the 20th? 20th, Hitler's birthday. Yeah, that's what it was. Okay. All right. And there's more, I think there's more theories with that date than there is the 19th. Ten days before Snell's execution, he told a guard that between that day and the day of his execution, there was going to be, quote, hell to pay. And the thing is, is that Snell and Lewis Beam were very close up until the day that Snell was executed. Three weeks before the bombing, Beam gave Snell's wife a letter that said, quote, Armageddon is coming on the day of his death. Beam also told a lifelong criminal named Robert Boyd that something big was going to happen in Oklahoma City, Denver, or Dallas on the two-year anniversary of Waco, April 19th, 1995. We'll get into more of this on part two, but those were all places that Timothy McVeigh scouted as a potential place to attack, and that's absolutely proven. Mm. So when clearly Boyd these at- guys were in on something well ahead of time while they were while uh, uh, Snell was on death row here. He's he's still knowing that what's going to go down on, on the day of his execution. And it gets even and Lewis Beam goes ahead and offers a lot more evidence to point towards that. Because when Boyd asked what something big was, Beam said, quote, it's close to what Earl Turner pulled off in the Turner Diaries. Mm. And when Boyd asked who was going to play the part of Earl, Beam said, quote, they have some kid who's going to do something and whatever it is, I'm sure it'll make a splash. Go so ahead. there's evidence building here that McVeigh was a patsy all along, huh? That's what this seems to be leading to. I think there's more than enough circumstantial evidence to to show as we continue to go through this story, and especially next week, that, yeah, he was chosen to do this. I wonder if the, the question is whether he knew he was the patsy or not, or if he agreed to it. Right. As we'll see in a couple, couple, mm. couple lines down here. On the morning of Richard Snell's execution, April 19th, 1995, all he asked for for his last request was to watch the news, and it's reported by guards that when Snell saw a coverage of the bombing, he just smiled and laughed to himself. Is that a thing now, like last requests as opposed to like last meals? Yeah, like, I, don't know. I guess. guess what's your last he was. request? I request fifteen thousand more requests. <laughs> you have to honor that. <laughs> I request to be freed. It's like a genie in a bottle. Yeah. Hmm. Like if you <laughs> get one point. wish, you wish for infinity wishes. Absolutely. Um, so, so the but that's just so he got a last request and he wanted to watch TV of all things. Pretty odd. It's very odd. And he's just specifically wanted to watch the news. <laughs> mm. yeah. So so smiling at a bunch of kids getting killed is one of the last things you do on this earth. Yeah. Sure. It's great. So on that day, April nineteenth, nineteen ninety five, Timothy McVeigh entered Oklahoma City at eight fifty a.m. At 8.57 a.m., the Regency Towers Apartments lobby security camera that had recorded a yellow rider truck heading towards the Mira Federal Building. At the same moment, McVeigh lit the five-minute fuse. Three minutes later, still a block away, 
he lit the two-minute fuse. He parked the rider truck in a drop-off zone situated under the building's daycare center, exited and locked the truck. McVeigh then headed to his getaway vehicle, which was a 1977 pastel yellow Mercury Marquis, with a note that read, quote, Not abandoned. Please do not tow. Will move by April 23rd. Needs battery and cables. Clever. I like how he just feels like he can just leave a note for the cops. Yeah. Like, hey, don't tow this. I'll be back <laughs> yeah. for it in a while. <laughs> have oh. you ever met a parking cop? God damn. They have <laughs> yeah. something to prove. You can't tow my car. I left a fucking note. What are yeah. you doing? Jesus, Pally. I told you when I'd pick it up, by Fuck out of here. A note trumps all. What do you put it down? And we'll see from, uh, in part two, he 100% knew that he was parking it under the daycare center. Mm. And he would have known that day, too, because from the street view, he would have been able to look up and see pictures on the windows of the, the kids' drawings and stuff. It's pretty vile, man. Yep. At 9.02 a.m., before McVeigh even got to his car, the rider truck containing over 4,800 pounds of ammonium nitrate fertilizer, nitromethane, and, diesel, and a diesel fuel mixture detonated in front of the north side of the nine-story Alfred P. Mura Federal Building. When I hear or see a rider truck to this day, it's the first thing I think of. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Now you probably ruined that for me as well, so thank you for that. No, sorry. 168 people were killed and hundreds more were injured. One third of the building was destroyed by the explosion, which created a 30-foot wide, 8-foot deep crater on Northwest 5th Street next to the building. The blast destroyed or damaged 324 buildings within a four-block radius and shattered all windows in 258 nearby buildings. God damn. Never forget that picture. Man, it's brutal. The broken glass alone accounted for 5% of the death total and 69% of the injuries outside the Mira building. The blast destroyed or burned 86 cars around the site. The destruction of the buildings left several hundred people homeless and shut down a number of offices in downtown Oklahoma City. And the explosion was estimated to have caused a total of $652 million worth of damage. Wow. And like watching stuff and reading, you know, different like people that were there that day, like all those windows, I mean, that broken glass just like shredded people on the street and everything. I mean, all the like hundreds and hundreds of windows breaking at the same time. Yeah, just you're just walking shooting. down the street and then you're just, you're, you're, yeah. you know, like it's like buckshot of just glass coming at you. Yep. Fuck. Mm. The effects of the blast were the equivalent, were the equivalent to over 5,000 pounds of TNT and could be heard and felt up to 55 miles away. Seismometers at the Omniplex Science Museum in Oklahoma City, 4.3 miles away, and in Norman, Oklahoma, 16.1 miles away, recorded the blast as measuring approximately 3.0 on the Richter magnitude scale. It's a lot. It was I mean, a massive a bomb fucking blast, bomb. Yeah. We listen to some audio here of the blast. Yeah. So this clip is from uh, the, it was from a water board meeting in a building next door, across the street from the Mira Building. And this lady that was running the meeting decided to record it that day for whatever reason, and they. So they caught it on, on audio. I have not yet heard this. Here it is. There are four elements that I have to uh, uh, receive information regarding. Okay. 
That was uh, pretty devastating, sounded like. Yeah, that's not pleasant. The the weird, the creepy thing about that, listening to that, is like just how average of a day it seemed. Like the people were just talking about a water board meeting, you know, and just sure. some like mundane shit, and then all of a sudden. That's how know. it happens, right? Yeah. You're just Instead in a, nowhere, a yeah. regular meeting on a Tuesday morning, and then the fucking plane flies into the building, and yeah. it's just wild how, you know, it's just everyday life, and then something catastrophic happens like that, and you're talking about history, you know, 20 years later. Sure. It's crazy and terribly sad. The collapse of the building took roughly seven seconds. The shockwave of the explosion forced the lower floors upwards before the fourth and fifth floors collapsed onto the third floor, which housed the transfer beam that ran the length of the building and was being supported by four pillars below and was supporting the pillars that hold the upper floors. The added weight meant that the third floor gave way along with the transfer beam, which in turn caused the whole building to just collapse. How uh, did you say, Ian, how many stories was the building? Nine. Nine, okay. An estimated 646 people were inside the building when the bomb exploded. By the end of the first day, 14 adults and six children were confirmed dead and over 100 injured. The toll eventually reached 168 confirmed dead, not including an unmatched left leg that could have belonged to an unidentified 169th victim or could have belonged to any one of the eight victims who had been buried without a leg. Man. Such a horrific lack of closure, just like 9-11. Yeah. Most of the deaths resulted from the collapse of the building rather than the bomb blast itself. Those killed included 163 who were in the Mira building, one person in the Athenian building, one woman in a parking lot across the street, and a man and a woman in the Oklahoma Water Resource Building. That's where the recording came from. Mm. And a rescue worker struck on the head by debris. Can you just imagine you're standing in a parking lot across the street and just this fucking enormous bomb goes off and just debris comes flying at you? I I couldn't. Like, I I wouldn't. I don't know. Hmm. That's why. You just have no time to react. It's right. just one of those crazy scenarios where, you know, like a plane crashes into your house. It's like, oh. what do you do? Yeah, nothing to do. Yeah, you're just, you're just along for the ride at mm-hmm. that point. The victims, including three pregnant women, ranged in age from three months to 73 years old. Of the dead, 108 worked for the federal government. And since we know the motive behind this, we've been alluding to it, only eight of the federal government victims were federal law enforcement agents. Of those law enforcement agents, four were members of the U.S. Secret Service, two were members of the U.S. Customs Service, one was a member of the U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration, and one was a member of the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. Six of the victims were U.S. military personnel, two members of the U.S. Army, two members of the U.S. Air Force, and two members of the U.S. Marine Corps. The rest of the victims were civilians, including 19 children, of whom 15 were in the America Kids Daycare Center. No one from the ATF or FBI was killed. Wow, big man, you killed 19 kids. Great job. McVeigh's later response to the range of casualties was, quote, I didn't define the rules of engagement in this conflict. The rules, if not written down, are defined by the aggressor. It was brutal. No holds barred. Women and kids were killed at Waco and Ruby Ridge. You put it back in the government's face, exactly what they're giving out. I wanted the government to hurt like the people of Waco and Ruby Ridge had. Hmm. 
I mean, except that unless you're targeting the head of the government, the government is just everyone. It's your, you know, it's your neighbor down the street that works in the government office. It's right. it's just a ridiculous kind of scenario. And I know about the kids. You know, when he was asked about the kids and you know just the civilians that were killed, he he said, "quote that they were collateral damage." Great. Not exactly the best way to go about uh, gaining sympathy for your cause. No, I I would agree. You know, we have this big fear of international terrorism in this country, but I think it's much more likely that a domestic terrorist is going to do you harm at this point. I don't doubt that. When rescue teams went into the building, the first thing that they started noticing on the ceilings were these large pools of coagulated blood. Each one of those these large circles of blood were people that were crushed by the floor above them falling. Ugh. That's awful, man. Yeah, nobody deserves that. Just probably flattened, you know, big chunks of concrete. Yeah, just right. flattened and bled out instantly. One woman who fell five stories was trapped and kept calm by reaching out and finding a hand to hold. She quickly realized that this hand was actually severed from a victim's body, but she still held on to it. And the way she recounted it was that it gave her comfort to hold a human hand, even though she knew that it wasn't attached to somebody. Like it just gave her hope yeah. and calm till she could be rescued. Wow. Mm. Well, which good for her for finding something to get her through that sure. and not go you crazy. Do what you got to do or, in the moment. Sure. Yeah. And I'm assuming she lived because she was able to tell us that. So the story of Dana Bradley is absolutely horrific, but she will come back up in a bit in part. She'll come back up in part two. That morning, Dana and three of her family members went to the mirror building so she could pick up a social security card for her newborn baby. When the bomb exploded, Dana's mother, daughter, and her newborn son were killed instantly. Dana was trapped under the rubble and had to have her leg amputated at the knee to be freed. Getting her out is one of like the most intense things I've ever read or heard about because PBS has a good American Experience documentary on this. Dana was in the basement. It was, when the building collapsed, she just fell through with the floors all the way to the basement. And this was an area that rescuers called the pit because there were tons of burst pipes and it was quickly filling up with freezing cold water. That's fucking terrifying. Yeah. Jesus. Can you even just imagine, though, like she survived falling, like like surfing down on the wreckage, like yeah. and to 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 live through that, just the fall alone. Yeah, you know, there's things falling on top of you, over you. Mm-hmm. You're going down. How many flights? To, and then to land, and you you're you're still alive. That's insane. Now you're in the pit, and it's just filling up with water. Well, and and uh, thirty seconds earlier, your mom and two kids were with you, and yeah. now they're gone. And you, you, you don't know where anybody is. Right. You don't know what the fuck just happened. And, and I remember this lady's story from when this happened, and this is just the worst. A surgeon from the local hospital was at, came to the scene, and he went in with a scalpel kit to free her. This doctor had to wedge himself in and lay on his side in an awkward position, trying to amputate her leg. And listening to him talk, the way he had to wedge himself in, he had to use his left hand, which he wasn't left-handed. So this was just really. Uh, so it's backwards. It's uncomfortable. It's not. It's not great. Right. Yeah. Because of where he had to amputate her her leg, he had to cut through one of the strongest areas of the knee, and the scalpel's cut breaking. God damn. 
as he was on his last couple scalpels, word came out that there was a potential second bomb and all rescue workers needed to get out. And this doctor refused to leave, even though he had just ran out of scalpels. He remembered that he had a pocket knife on him and used that to finish amputating Dana's knee. Mm. So with all the, all the negativity and shit we're talking about today, then at least you get, you get, some, you get one good guy or one hero like this yeah. doctor who just is the fucking man. But just imagine the randomness of that. You know, one day you're, you're at home, you just had a baby, you're taking a trip downtown with your mom, your two kids. And then, you know, by the end of the day, they're all gone and you... you and your, doc- you're, your doctor's cutting, hacking off your leg. It's just unimaginable. To save your life. Sure. And you and know what? what just, just the crazy... And like, what if this ahead. lady didn't even watch the news or, or you know, she might, she might have not even known what the fuck Waco or Ruby Ridge was. You know what I mean? I would... So, sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was too young at the time to know what those were. But I would imagine, like, I don't know, you probably, if you were the regular everyday citizen who maybe paid casual attention to the news, you probably heard those, Ruby Ridge and Waco, but maybe you didn't know. Maybe you didn't know who David Koresh was. You didn't know who Randy Weaver was. You just knew those, you knew, you had heard Ruby Ridge and there was something bad that happened there and you knew something big and bad happened in Waco and that was it, probably, if you just paid casual attention to the news. Like, I would imagine most people probably did. Absolutely. It's just the motive is so irritating to me because it's like you didn't accomplish anything but destroy a bunch of people's lives. You targeted the wrong, completely the wrong person. It had just, it was just completely irrelevant. Your, your targets meant nothing. Yeah. Killing just for the sake of killing. I mean, speaking of people getting, you know, trapped like that and cutting their own limbs off, you guys think you could do that? Did we talk about that on air last week or did, was that off air? I don't, I remember bringing up that, what is that movie with Franco? 27? 27 hours. Did we talk about that on air or off air? No, we talked about it at some point. That is an intense movie. Oh man. It's, it's tough to watch. He's, it's the movie James Franco and Ian, do you remember this? He plays a, uh, like a, I don't know, a mountain climber. He was or, hiking in he was, Utah. Uh, yeah. Okay. A hiker. And he falls down like this little cavernous pit. He gets his arm wedged between a boulder, like in the wall. And he finally figures out he has to cut his own arm off in order to survive or else he's going to die down there. With a pocket knife. With a pocket knife. And it's, it's, I, I think of that and I, I think guess the if you had to do it. And I think a saw where he has to fucking <laughs> cut off his leg. Yeah. I mean, what are you going to do? I, I don't think I could put myself in that mindset to know what I would do. You want to know like, until I, you're there. I want to sure. think like, yeah, if I knew like, Hey Mike, you're going to die or you have to cut your arm off yeah. and I'm going to think, okay, I need to cut my arm off. Yeah. But I don't know what I'm thinking. Maybe I'm already hurt that I'm just like, oh, no, you know, this is it. Or I'm a pessimist, so I'm going to think, well, this is how I die, so I'm just going to lay here and take it. Yeah. I don't know. That's tough. At some point, you got to do something. Like Red said, you get either, busy living or get busy dying, yeah, right? That's it. You have to make that decision. Yeah. You're either, but that's, I, don't, I, I, can't, I don't know how to place myself in that mm-hmm. to make an accurate decision. I mean, what would you guys do? I'd like to think I'd be able to do it, but yeah, like you said, until you're there, who knows? And then might yeah. just cry like a little baby. I don't <laughs> <Right>. know. <laughs> also, we know my track record. I'm not an outdoorsman. Mike does not walk around with a pocket knife in his in his pocket. It's true. So like if I'm trapped there, I would either either have to grab like a sharp rock or like I, yeah. I would have nothing on me yeah. to do it. Maybe a car key. Are you gonna fucking cut your arm off with a car key? I don't even know if you yeah. can. Your sharp wit's not gonna cut through that arm. Nope. There is no wit, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert. That's a dead end. So I don't, Ian, what about you? What do you think? I, like Dave said, I'd like to think I'd be able to do it, but 
I think we also know that I would not ever have a pocket knife on me. You and me both, brother. We're dying. We are dead in this situation. (laughs) We just better hope Dave's near us to come save us. I don't have a fucking pocket knife. (laughs) Well, I don't know. Maybe you just come lift some rocks or something. Your belief in Jesus saved you. We're dead. (laughs) That's true. I would just pray the whole time. He would deliver me. (laughs) Deliver you to something. That pit. That's my biggest fear, though, getting stuck in small places like that. I'm so claustrophobic. I am, too. I, I would just have a panic attack and probably hyperventilate to death if that happened to me. It's a good point, too. Like that, it's, I don't think I if I, was, if I was pinned like that, I don't think I'd have time to start thinking straight to think like, oh, just cut your arm out. Yeah. I'd freak out. Sure. I'd start hyperventilating. Yep. And then I, I probably would pass out. Right. And, beca- and because I was unconscious, I would then just bleed out and die. <laughs> and that'd be the end of my life. I, I couldn't take that. Yeah. Well, you know, you know the really uh, the other creepy thing about about this whole situation with this bombing is that like McVeigh with this bomb, and we'll get into it when when he's when in the construction of it, but he like accidentally created the perfect bomb because it, it wasn't even really the the explosion itself that caused this. It was like the vacuum of air it mm. caused after. It almost caused like a second bomb almost. Mm. And uh, people said that like like just suck the air out of the place and there wasn't like hissing pipes or anything they said like survivors said it was absolutely silent in there the whole time just you're just sitting in trapped by broken pieces of concrete and stuff and it was just completely wow. silent wow that's it's, even worse it, to be clear when we're laughing like we're laughing at ourselves in these stupid situations we are not laughing at the actual situation like that's fucking it's horrible and it's it's terrible and um I don't know. I just don't want people to think we're laughing like at of the course. situation. We're just laughing at ourselves, kind of mocking. Our well, you talk about heroes, and we're talking about us because we're a bunch of big pussies, right? Like, like I said, sure. this surgeon, <laughs> this surgeon is a fucking hero, and something like this. And so we're laughing at ourselves. We're absolutely not laughing at what these people are going. We're through. contrasting. It's, yeah, terrible. Trying to bring a little bit of humor to a otherwise dark situation. After the two week rescue effort was over, there were only a small number of people who had been saved. Quickly, reports of budget failures started to surface about the construction of the building. The beams of the building were reinforced with rebar, but if hoop steel was used, the building wouldn't have collapsed. And it was found that using rebar only cut $18,000 out of the budget to build the mirror building. So in theory, most of the people would have survived if the building wouldn't have collapsed, I would think, right? Due to the report, I mean, there would have been a ton of people that got hurt. Mm-hmm. But if hoop steel would have been used, there would have only been seven deaths instead of 168. Yeah, that's amazing. Wow. And sad. Mm. It was also found that the mirror building only had one guard on duty at a time and was virtually left unguarded five hours a day. On top of that, none of the security cameras were actually plugged in and recording at the mirror building, which saved around $40 a month in the budget. Right. That's unbelievable based on today's security standards. But yeah, well, we've come a long way, I think. I mean, so. It's only 25 years ago. And, you know, unguard, a federal building, a U.S. federal building, unguarded for five hours a day. Like, I think how, nowadays, how could that even be the case? I mean, it's pretty wild to think that they would not have somebody on, on duty or only even one person. I think nowadays you can do a lot of remote viewing and fucking probably have drones. That's a and lockdown, cameras, man. And, yeah, yeah. You're not getting close without being watched. I mean, it's happened oh, before, yeah. though. Like the the Challenger explosion is because you know they bought faulty O rings from the lowest bidder. So, is that what it was? I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know about that. Faulty O rings. 
I was three weeks old when that happened. Oh, me too. Yeah. 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 yeah me too. Fun fact. Ian, you were not even alive yet. Yeah, no, I wasn't. It was January. It was late January of '86. Mm. I was in study hall in <laughs> high school. <laughs> well, Dave, Dave was, I don't know, forty, living on a beach somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I was three weeks. Ian was yet to be born. <laughs> There's a sperm cell in his father's <laughs> sack. <laughs> Goddamn, pal. Twinkle of his twinkle of his eye. Well, I have to think his dad had some blue chew though, and that's what happened. Blue chew. Pop some blue chew, and thus gave us Ian, and thus gave us Necronomapod. God damn! So everyone, go thank Ian's dad and blue chew. Cheers. His dad's already a star on the uh, on the on the Necron or the uh, Facebook fan page. That's right. Oh yeah. Is that the same fan page that was debating or that uh, had that whole thing about? Uh, Clinton Dave is, is better than Country Mike. <laughs> yeah. like, this is what these people debate on Facebook. <laughs> country Mike is a scumbag. We only use Country Mike to read the most vile, disgusting things. Clinton Dave, or whatever we're going to call this guy, comes in and, you know, he's putting cigarettes up your vag. Of course that's Well, that's cigars, a, he's not... Whatever. He has no class. <laughs> Excuse I mean, me, cigars. full of class. Excuse me, cigars. That's right. He's from Arkansas. Probably Cuban cigars, too. Probably. Um, the best of the best. He's the President of the United States. <laughs> He'll stick whatever he wants up your badge, and you're not going to do a damn thing about it. Goddamn right, I will, Mike. <laughs> Any hoodles. We sidetracked from Ian becoming a sperm to all this and the challenge. Well, you know the thing, too, about the building? Um, like, There's no way that McVeigh knew about the structural faults to, to the building, but he 100% knew about the security the security faults the la- that they had. Like the lack of security that they had. Yeah, and we'll get into that in part two with him casing the building yeah, and stuff. Yeah, sure, sure. Initially, the FBI had uh, two ideas about the responsibility for the bombing. International terrorists, possibly the same group that had carried out the World Trade Center bombing, or a drug cartel carrying out an act of vengeance against DEA agents in the building's DEA office. It wasn't until head of the Oklahoma FBI branch, Robert Ricks, realized the date of April 19th, 1995, was the two-year anniversary of Waco, and that switched gears on the investigation. Ah, see, once that connection clicks, all makes sense. Then they're absolutely the primary target. Yep, he was in the in the one documentary they were talking, and uh, yeah, he's like, he was like, it just hit me. Yeah. Like, oh. This is this is Waco. This is the two yeah. year of Waco. And there's no way it's coincidental at that point, right? Because coincidences don't really exist, in my opinion. Hmm. Yeah, definitely not. Yeah, no way. Not Maybe like not this. in this one for sure. I don't believe in coincidences. I think I. I How about that, I Mike? I think I do. I just, <laughs> okay. I don't know. I think I do. All right. I haven't really thought much about that. <laughs> okay. You've enlightened me tonight to think See? about something. All right. In this situation, this is not a coincidence. <laughs> no, 100%. clearly not. I'm with you on that. And also, if they wanted to get away with it. You don't do it on an anniversary like that. That's clearly going to be tied back to you if anyone's actually doing their homework, right? Also a dumb move. Yeah. So this is about making a statement versus trying to obscure Hence, know, the, the meaning or who, who actually perpetrated it. Hence a patsy. Sure. Exactly. Well, and, and also I know McVeigh has said, you know, talking about the people that died because it was brought up to him that, you know, you could have done it at, at nighttime when no one was there. And he was like, but if I want to get the government's attention, there's got to be there's got to be casualties. So, yeah. scumbag. The FBI's behavioral science unit put together a profile saying 
who they should be looking for was a white male with military experience and would be very angry about Ruby Ridge and Waco. Well, that's spot on. Were, were our friends from Mindhunter involved in this? <laughs> yeah, that's Timothy McVeigh to a T. Were those guys in on this at all? I wonder. I'm not sure. It's mm, a good question. They would be a little older at this point, right? In life. Yeah, I suppose. But they were still active consultants, I think. Yeah, I don't I know why so. you wouldn't bring them in at least. Yeah, sure. Look through some I'm going to look into that. I'll get back to you guys next week on that. So like me, you'll forget in an hour? I will not. Be... I'm writing a note right now. <laughs> <laughs> so getting back to the to the the day itself on April 19th, once McVeigh got to the Mercury Marquis, he had trouble getting it to start because it was a piece of shit car that he spent $300 on. All right. This is not a good plan. <laughs> no. <laughs> this is no. ridiculous. Yeah, he's sitting there just like trying over and over again to get this thing to start. And when it finally did, he took off. Now, McVeigh either forgot or some people, including me, think it was on purpose, but he didn't have license plates on the car. Stop it. Why on purpose? I, I think he was the martyr for, so for all was, these okay. groups. I think okay. that's exactly right. All right. There's too many kind of, I don't know, underlying things here that, just do not equate to a well-thought-out plan like that show you're trying to get caught. State Trooper Charles Hanger noticed the missing plates about 60 miles north of Oklahoma City and pulled McVeigh over. When McVeigh got out of the car, the officer noticed a bulge in McVeigh's jacket, and when the officer reached in, he found a gun, and Timothy McVeigh was arrested for the first time in his life for unlawfully carrying a firearm. So he put up no struggle. I mean, he could have killed the cop. Yeah, no, he yeah. just he could have willingly least, yeah. went. Yeah. All right. That tells you everything right there. You just blew up 20 kids. You know, you're not going to be hesitant to shoot a cop. Right. Officer Hanger had no idea who he had just r arrested, but McVeigh's shirt gave them their first clue. McVeigh wore a printed T-shirt with the motto of the Commonwealth of Virginia, Six Semper Tyrannus. Thus, always the tyrants, according to legend, what Brutus said as he assassinated Julius Caesar and was also shouted by John Wilkes Booth after the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. And on the back of this shirt, quote, the tree of liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants from Thomas Jefferson. And it was just, and written, was, it was just written on there. I mean, for this epic event, you can't even spring for a custom printed T-shirt. You got a, <laughs> for your big day of killing civilians, you got to fucking write it by hand on the back. Just a white t-shirt with a yeah. sharpie on yeah. it. It's fucking lame. You mean you couldn't go to okay. Amazon.com and search Necronomapod <laughs> and just buy a shirt from there? Thankfully, you can now, Mike. <laughs> Why don't you tell the folks at home how to do it? You go to Amazon.com, you search Necronomapod, and it pops right up. That's how I do it. Yep. That's how we all do it. You can get your Necronomapod logo t-shirt. You can get your Necronomapod Zodiac t-shirt. You can get your Necronomapod Abduction t-shirt. You can get your Necronomapod Hail Mugs t-shirt. And there's going to be some new uh, logos coming soon. Coming soon. Good plug. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> the axle from the rider truck had been found in the wreckage at the bomb site, and it was blown two blocks away. Now, the eyewitness account from the axle is something straight out of a movie. Like two blocks away when this happened, there was a family. Uh, I, I can't remember their name off the top of my head. But it was a husband, wife, and two kids sitting in the back seat. 
and the husband said that you could just see the axle coming towards the car and it was like oh. making a like you could hear like the sound like a woo, woo sound <laughs> that, and they all ducked down and it just took off the top of their car that is ridiculous that's unbelievable yeah. that's like a like a, a con air movie where dave Chappelle falls off an airplane and lands <laughs> on your roof in traffic it's <laughs> right. unbelievable the, the axle had a vin number on it and and the authorities linked it back to a place called elliot's body shop in junction city kansas when they checked the paperwork they found the truck had been rented to a man named robert kling which was one of mcveigh's aliases <laughs> when the body shop employees were interviewed investigators found that mcveigh might not have been alone when he rented the truck sketches were done of both men john doe number one was 100 percent mcveigh I mean, you look at that sketch and yep. yeah that's him that's him sure However, the second sketch was of a heavyset man wearing a Carolina Panthers hat and had olive skin. This individual is still unknown and to this day is referred to as uh, John Doe number two. Hmm. Interesting. That's ominous, huh? Is that something ske- we might touch back to or is that is that pretty much all we know? Oh, no. We're going to get into a lot of okay. John Doe number two. That That is like one of the most contentious points of this whole investigation and stuff. Okay. Because there's a lot of we're we're gonna get into a lot of eyewitness things of people who saw John Doe number two and a lot of pressure the FBI put on those eyewitnesses to recant that they saw a second guy with him. Stick around next week, folks. You'll mm-hmm. find out there's more bad guys than just one. Some of them are in the federal government. <laughs> dun dun. A great preview, Mike. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I'm learning as we go here, so I'm just getting excited for next week just to learn. Huh. These sketches were taken all around Junction City until a woman who worked at the Dreamland Motel recognized McVeigh in the first in the first sketch. When they checked the books, they found a room rented to one Timothy McVeigh. So he, I guess he ran out of aliases to come up with. This fucking they just guy's want doing... him to get caught. They yes. want, like it's he's doing everything to get caught. You guys, I didn't even think about a lot of that ahead of time. You guys convinced me like this was all just it was planned. Yeah. You don't plan a bombing that well and then not plan the aftermath as sloppy as they did. So I think this was meticulously planned out and probably went as they wanted it to go. Didn't those yahoos that uh, the first World Trade Center bombing in 93, didn't they do something similar with a rider truck and they traced it back to the rental agency? I mean, maybe people like this just aren't that smart. I see a pattern here. I don't know. I don't know a lot about the first the first World yeah. Trade Center bombing. And also, there's a 100% possibility that there's those uh, quarter beds that shake in the Dreamland Motel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think I'm going out on a limb there. Hey, roll tight on that. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> Give me some blue chew and a room to myself with one of those beds. <laughs> Good night, sister. He takes blue chew to be by himself. <laughs> well, hey, you know, there's a story. This, is, this goes to WWE. Do you guys remember... Uh, oh, I'm trying to think of what you guys remember. Mabel from Men on a Mission. He was also uh, fucking uh, shit. Big Daddy V. Viscera. He was Viscera oh, for a yeah, while. Yeah, yeah. He was like the 500-pound big black dude. He was part of the rap group for a while. Anyways, they said, I've heard stories. His addiction was going back to the hotel room, popping a Viagra, and watching porn. Hmm. That's what he loved to do. Interesting. Yeah. like he did, Which... Unfortunately, he has since passed away, but he was also, uh, what was his name? Nelson Frazier III, I believe, I think. Hmm. 
third. It was like a uh, in- like a five hundred pound dude. Like he was overweight. Sure, but like I don't think he was into the drugs. He wasn't into the alcohol. He was into going back to his hotel room every night, popping a Viagra, and jerking off to porn. Hmm. So. Don't tell me that people don't exist. <laughs> they just want to pop a boner pill and jerk off. All right, man. <laughs> Let's go with it. Any hoodles. I don't know how that happened. Our live we're shows ta- are going to be awesome, Ian. We're literally talking yeah. about Oklahoma City here, and Dave gets me fired up about people jerking off with Blue Chew. <laughs> You're firing yourself up, pal. <laughs> hey, Blue Chew ain't needed anymore. I'm ready to go. When they were looking at the books, investigators also found that McVeigh listed his address as a farm in Michigan that belonged to a guy named Terry Nichols' brother. We'll get into Terry Nichols in part two because he plays a huge part in this whole story. While authorities went to the farm, they checked the computer systems for Timothy McVeigh, and sure enough, they found him sitting in jail in Oklahoma City on firearms charges. So they worked their way back to this guy very quickly. Yeah. There were clues all along the trail here. And lucky for investigators, McVeigh's bail hearing had been pushed back a day because the judge was swamped with cases. If that wouldn't have happened, McVeigh very likely could have just posted bail, and who knows what would have happened from there. Well, they probably would have found him 20 minutes later because he would have done something else stupid to alert authorities to his whereabouts. Because his his bosses were like, no, motherfucker, you stay caught. (laughs) What do you mean you're out of jail? Get the fuck back in there. (laughs) Go hold up this 7-Eleven. Go tell them how bad the Jews are. Get yourself locked up again. (laughs) (laughs) Like, who knows if he would have went to somewhere like Elohim City or somewhere and there would have been a huge standoff that happened after. I mean, who knows? So with that, McVeigh was arrested all over again and charged for the bombing. But investigators still had little to no information on who McVeigh was or or who else was involved. And that's where we will pick back up on part two. In part two, we'll get into the life of McVeigh, how he got to this point, and who else was exactly involved in this. And the mysterious John Doe number two. John Doe number two. Hmm. There's a lot more to this story than maybe some people realize as, as far as conspiracy and backstory and everything. Coming into this, I, I didn't know a lot of this. Yeah. I, I thought it was, I didn't know anything about this story because I was a kid when it happened and I never really researched any of it. Surprise, surprise. I thought it was a Timothy McVeigh, just anti government kind of yeah. thing. I yeah. didn't realize it was all this Not behind the scenes shit. Sure. Yeah. It was very uh, enlightening. You've opened our eyes, Ian. Goddamn, pal. <laughs> if anybody's interested, too, there's a really good Art Bell episode from 95. About a Blumpkin? Um, <laughs> no. Oh, okay. <laughs> about about John Doe number two. If you if you Google or go to YouTube and type in Art Bell Oklahoma City bombing, it's one of the first episodes that comes up. It's got a lot of uh, a lot of interesting information about John Doe number two in there. Look, hmm. you give me homework with Art Bell, and I'm going to do that homework. See, there you go. That's how you motivate him. That's absolutely correct. I love man. I go back and listen to old Art Bell shows all the time. Fucking amazing. Ian, remember when we started the podcast and Mike had never listened to Art Bell? Never heard of him. Yeah. <laughs> never heard of him. Didn't even know who he was. And at first, when you guys told me about him, I laughed a little bit. Like, okay, this guy's just like, uh, oh, I still stand by. He's the Vince McMahon of like the paranormal. Sure. Like, of course you know. he is. But goddamn, he's good. Yeah. He's, I actually thought about doing this. Uh, maybe for a bonus show, we'll do this. I want to know our Mount Rushmore's of the best of Necronomapod and the worst of Necronomapod. 
And I'm not asking for answers now. I think this may be a bonus show at some point. Show-wise? Like, personality-wise. So, like, would Mr. Muggs make your pro... Like, oh, okay. Just like your per- personalities of people gotcha. we've discussed in the show. I want your best and your worst. And I think that might be a fun bonus show one to just kind of discuss and, you know, drink some beers and That'd bullshit. That'd be fun, sure. So, because I think, you know, Art Bell might be the forefront of my Mount Rushmore of Necronomopod. I don't know. Huh. I don't know. He's going to be up there. You know, and obviously Betty Hill doesn't deserve any Mount Rushmore because she'd snort all the crack that was on the, <laughs> the mountain there. So, you know, she doesn't deserve that. But Angela Hill would make my list because she's a saint. Okay. I'm going to start thinking about this in the back of my head. Yeah. That's what, yeah. That's what the, put the teaser out there right. with this other bonus show. The best and the worst. The four best personalities and the four worst. Okay. So it can just be, you know, people we've talked, like John Ramsey could be a character. Sure. You know, it could be someone. Just people we've discussed. Maybe Annalise. Annalise could be. Sure. I don't know. I don't know why she would be a best or a worst, but she could be. Okay. Yeah. Okay. There's also another Art Bell one I, I was wanting to bring up earlier and I forgot in the episode, but um, William Pierce, the guy that wrote the Turner Diaries, was on Art Bell's show in 95 as well, trying to defend himself that his book didn't inspire the Oklahoma City bombings oh, and, okay. and stuff like that. It's a good episode. Spot Art back. roasts the fuck out of him. <laughs> How do we find that one? Can we just search that on YouTube? Like Art Bell yeah, you and can Turner? Search, yeah, that's up on YouTube as well. All right. So just go steal that shit, folks. It's all up there for free. <laughs> Are you encouraging piracy? Well, I'm. I, I didn't. I mean, I'm just telling people mm. what they said to go find it. Ian, you got any uh, final thoughts for uh, part one? We set the stage no, pretty think, well for part two. Yeah, I think I'm pretty good. I think uh, the only thing I'll say is I think Timothy McVeigh has taken the cake for me as as far as people I we've talked about that I don't like. BTK used to be the worst, but Timothy and then I think McVeigh at one is, point Albert Fish took over there for a while, right? You were saying for a well, while he's just really he. I mean, Albert Fish is a, he's on a, a whole plane to I himself. Mean, he, was, he was good at writing letters. So I give you that. <laughs> no, he was not. Uh, I used to think Pally. BTK was the most insufferable piece of shit ever, but Timothy McVeigh I think takes the cake for that. Mm. Wow! So Timothy McVeigh might be on Ian's Mount Rushmore. Interesting of scum. It's an evolving list, I'm sure. Oh, sure. It will be. Dave, what do you got for uh, any final thoughts? Uh, no, I'm going to reserve them for next week at the conclusion of this uh, sordid tale. Very good. I think that's a fair uh, fair way to go about it. Peter Curtin's on my Mount Rushmore. Shh, no spoiler. Yeah. <clears throat> guy, that guy was great. <laughs> Blow a load at the drop of a hat. <clears throat> <laughs> Oh, man, that noise gets me every time. <laughs> <laughs> All right, some Patreon shout-outs. I have a few corrections to make. The uh, fine folks in Discord fucking roasted me over an open fire mm-hmm. the other night about names I butchered. Well, I'm going to get them right the first time. Yeah, I'm pal. sorry. I'm fucking 15 beers deep when we do this shit. All right, I do my best. I try. <laughs> you guys send me the list of names, and I read them with a squinted eye to uh, figure out, <laughs> figure like out a- what people... Uh, you know, what their fucking names are. Sounds like so. a drinking problem that you need help God for. damn, pal. All right, so shout-outs to Aaliyah Cummins, Allie Renard, and long overdue, Chance Areth. No Z. Never heard of him. Chance Areth. One of our <laughs> longtime patrons, number one in the Discord. Love that guy. Chance Areth, thank you very much for all your support. Hopefully I made it better. 
He's up in Rhode Island. Represent. Boom. So Aaliyah Cummins, Ali Renard, and Chancer. How many? How many does Ali Renard get? It's like the fourth shout out she's got. Apparently, I messed up her name. Like three I said times. Reinard, I think. Oh. <laughs> I, don't know. Dude, I told them if they have mistakes. All right. She's you know just gonna keep to. doing it every week, so she's gonna get a shout out every wow, week. Wow. Goddamn. Did she mess up? Did I do this? Did I do her before? I don't know. I'm just making stuff up. <laughs> I just that name sounds familiar like a bunch of times. Well, it's over with now. New patrons: Matthew Purcell, Alicia. Harrison Thorburn, Jade Perrin, Kenneth Hoover, Amanda, Kaylee uh, Akutis, Emily, John Brown Thunder, CB Powers, Casey Guy, Felicia Greer, Sarah Angiri, Alex Kiyoko, King Medusa, Carolyn Davari, Aaron McKell, Nina, Heather, Carrie, Louisa Lynch, Sean Meskin, Stephanie Giddymeyer, Sid, Brett Allen, Joe Cassidy, Max Julian, my old buddy Max. Hey, Max. Hey, Max. I hope you hear this. That's one of my old longest time pals. Uh, Brianna McKenzie, Caitlin Savin, I May Look Calm, and Ashley Ramos. Thank you guys very much for signing up. We appreciate all the support. Patreon.com slash Necronomapod. Ian, you got any shout outs? For iTunes, I have one for Janie H., 974 Haley Holden Hyatt Triple H Triple H if you will Boom <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Time to play the game <laughs> Didn't we already do this one Yeah probably no, was, that, was that with just H.H. Holmes That probably was That's my new favorite patron Or review Nin Loves Cats Jackie Sugar Cringe Eye and Ermaquel. Thanks, guys, for the awesome reviews. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Um, like we said, patreon.com slash Necronomapod. Dave, oh, I guess I didn't throw it to you. Dave, you got anything else? You got anybody else you want to shout out? Uh, no, 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 I don't. No pieces of shit on Twitter that, you know, <laughs> were so upset that they got automatically subscribed to our show. Well, there was a fan today that was not happy with his CastBox subscription. I don't know if he, ought to, if he mistakenly subscribed to the show or not, but thanks for listening, pal. I hope, I hope you're not able to delete the show successfully ever. <laughs> Spoiler alert, that guy is not listening. He was so mad that he got automatically subscribed to our show and then said he would not tune in to a bunch of... Uh, how do you how do you communicate with inebriated people when you're trying to have a rational conversation? Like this motherfucker! Yeah. And then you look at his, his Twitter feed and it was just straight up like Ruby Ridge. Like he is, he is very much Randy Weaver, I believe. Yeah, he probably wasn't happy. And that was the show that he he commented on. So, you know. Catch us next time, pal. (laughs) Yeah. I sent him that that gift from Tombstone that just said, well, bye. (laughs) And he has not responded. So, fucking. We'll win him over. Finish him. (laughs) So. All right. Uh, We are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, at Necronomapod, patreon.com slash Necronomapod. Uh, Check us out. Reach out to us. Um, You know, we love hearing from you guys. Uh, If you do sign up for Patreon, make sure to jump in the Discord. There's a a lot of awesome fans in there that would love to hear from you and want to communicate with you. And they have a nice little community going on in there. And a lot of psychopaths, too. Also that. 
So oh, we're we're going hard in Discord recently <laughs> with this new music uh, music bot. Yeah. It's super fun. So join Discord, and you and Ian can can hang out all night and listen to some bops and drink some beers. Dave and I, <laughs> I will be long. Dave and I will be long in bed by the time <laughs> you get into that right. shit. <laughs> I was on there until like four or five in the morning the other night doing video Jesus. chat with everybody listening to music. There so. you go, people. If you wanna, if you want to, you know, chat with Ian and listen to music, join Discord. Uh, Dave and I'll see you once a month on the video <laughs> chat. He's not just a podcast superstar; he's a man of the people, folks. There you go, man of the people. <laughs> listen to some, you know, fucking Alex asking Alexandra whatever he requests in there. I don't no, know. That's no, his favorite no, band of all time. So. I don't know. <laughs> All right, uh, Oklahoma City Part 2 next week, and then we're going to get back into the old murder stuff that you guys love. Got a good one on tap after that. Yeah, I think it'll be a fun one. And we're not clowning around. Dun, dun, dun. dun. All right, (laughs) we'll see you guys. All right, you guys ready for a cool-down beer? Cheers.